Greetings, everyone. Really appreciated that special music. Every time I hear special music, I wish I could sing and carry a tune. My wife said, I wish you could, too. So don't ever ask your wife to evaluate you. You know, they don't mind telling you the truth at all. And Mr. McNair said, we hope everybody had a good Sabbath night and also today. Let me just say, I think I had the best Sabbath night I have in a long time. I woke up this morning like a lamb. I usually wake up like a lion. But for some reason, I was calm and collective. I have a personality of a lion. My wife has a personality of a lamb. So we're practicing now for the millennium, getting ready for that. I was thinking what an honor and privilege it is to know you have 48 hours of holy time, that God has given us 48 hours to be rejuvenated, to be encouraged, to have more of his spirit, so we can fight the world for the next holy day. What an honor that is. Holy time, holy people, what a combination. That God has called us to become holy. He wants us to be holy, and we are certainly practicing that and giving that as well to each other. Now, Mr. McNair talked about Larry. Uh, I was with him Wednesday, and, and I asked him if he mind if I were to tell the congregation some of the things he told me. He said he didn't mind at all. He said uh, he has such a different attitude and respect for the congregation here in Charlotte. He said, I've never seen so much love and outpouring Concern for anyone like that except, you know, me. He was really appreciative that all of you had called him or sent him letters and his time of need and help. And that really means a lot to people when they are, when they know that people care. So it's not what we do, per se, or what we believe. What's important is what we do. And God has called us more or less to be doers of the word. So the best is brought out in a Christian in time of need. Have you ever noticed that? Even sometimes in the world, like in Joplin, that the best in human nature was brought out. You see the best when people are trying to help someone in need, and God has certainly given the instructions for us to be that way. We follow the principle as found in Galatians chapter 6. If you'd like to turn to Galatians chapter 6 and notice this principle that the Apostle Paul was writing to the church there at Galatia. Chapter 6, verse 10, Therefore, as we Christians have opportunity, let us do good to all. See, while we have that opportunity, while there's a need, the Bible commands us to do good, to help, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's our responsibility to each other, is to help each other. When you're down and out, we need to encourage you. We need to serve you and help you if you see someone is down and out. And you have the opportunity. When there's a need, God says you better fulfill it in that, in that way. So in verse, go back to verse 6. Let him who is taught the word... Share in all things which him who teaches. So it's giving principle. Mr. Armstrong always taught there are two philosophies of life. One is give and one is get. God's people are called to learn the way to get or to give, not get. We're called to learn 
to give. And that's what pleases God is when we he sees us giving. And he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good, you see, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, this is the season. This season here is the season of Pentecost. And we should be reaping what we've sown since the last feast. We should be reaping whatever we've sown. If it's good, that we'll be reaping those attributes that we've sown. So we can't sow to the flesh. There is no profit in sowing to the flesh. There is no happiness in sowing to the flesh. Trying to take care of the flesh, the Bible says, is death. That's the getway. You can never get enough. Once you start trying to get something, you can get, never get enough of it. And it's hard to give away what you're getting. See, So God has called us to be opposite of that, that we sow to the Spirit. And if we sow love, then we reap love. If we sow Joy, we reap joy in due season. And that's the principle that I think we all understand and should be working toward. Now, in John chapter 12, Jesus brings out this example. He knew he was going to have to die. So he knew that. And it was a joy for him to do that. He didn't dread it at all. It was a joy. So he was telling his apostles, verse 23 of John 12, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world of getting will keep it. On eternal life. So Jesus was showing that he was that grain of wheat, that he was going to have to die. And of course, you take a, a grain of corn, and you're talking about the garden, a grain of corn, you plant it in the ground, it dies, it germinates, it comes up as a stalk. See? And it could grow six feet high or five feet, but eventually it will produce fruit. You plant one grain, and look how many grains you get back, see. And that's why Jesus understood, if I die, I'm resurrected, I'm going to bring in billions, perhaps sons of God, into the family of God. Billions because of the death, my death, that I want to please my father. My father wants a, he wants a family, but I have to die, see. I have to die. Then I'll come up and then I'll bring up that kind, you know, the God kind as well. So if we go to 1 Corinthians, verse 15, the resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians. Here Paul was showing that in Adam all die. But in Christ, that same all will be made alive. And he talks about in, in the ch- verse 35, 
But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Have you ever thought about that, what kind of body you're going to have? Are we all going to have the same kind of body? Are we all just going to look alike? The same kind of body. Well, you look around today and we're all different. There are no two alike in one way. Uh, you know, God planned it that way. But he goes on and shows, Oh, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies, which means we all have to die. Now, some of us have already died to our past sins when we were baptized into the death of Christ. See, And now we are a new creation being being created with a body that pleases God. So each, it goes on and shows, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as it pleases, see, as he pleases, a body. So I don't know what kind of body I'm, I have. God has begotten me with a seed, and you know there are different seeds, and he goes on and shows there are different flesh. So the seed, you have uh, the wheat, you have the corn, you have tomatoes, you have whatever. There's a special seed, and the tomato reproduces after its kind, a corn after its kind, you see. And so God has given us a body, or going to give us a body, that pleases him and not us. See? Now, sometimes in this flesh, we wonder why my body is this way. Why am I ugly? <laughs> I think most of us think we're ugly, you know, at one time or the other. But we wonder about the body. You know, we try to make it look bigger or better or sexier or whatever. We exercise, we walk, and everything to try to make the body look better. That pleases us, see. But, see, God is going to give us a body that pleases Him, Him in that new creation. And we don't know what kind of power that some of us may have. The power of Abraham's body is going to be very powerful. See, Christ has all power. And look at his body. See, and it's, it pictures his body to us in Revelation, what he you know, looks like or will look like. But it's not, it's what we sow. See, we're going to reap what we sow. And whatever we sow, we're going to reap that in, in time. You give one act of kindness to somebody or ten people, it's all going to come back. Multiplied. It's going to be multiplied. But we have to be patient. We have to wait for due season. Sometimes we're impatient. Sometimes we get tired of serving people or helping people. Maybe they don't respond the way we want them to. But that's not the key. God says, while we have the opportunity, let us do good. He didn't say whether you like the person or not. You do good. And the way you overcome your enemy is by doing good. You see? It's by giving. You overcome attitudes by giving. God's way is giving. It's not taking. You know, it's not trying to get what I want. Are you going to be like me before I like you? So it's a matter of understanding why God has called us to learn to give. And the more we give, the more we're going to reap. The more we give to the church, look what we receive when we give to the church. Look how many people are coming in. 
the more we give to the work. We give ourselves to God first, as the Bible brings out. Then, then we give to each other. We must give ourselves first to God. We sow to God first, as uh, Paul brings out here in, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8. With verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. And it's, it's just a matter of there's a joy that's indescribable when you give, when you are in affliction, when you're in a trial. If you know you're in a trial, there is a, should be a joy in that trial, knowing that God's going to give us the wisdom, the understanding, or make a way for us to, you know, to overcome or grow a message. It's the joy, see. It's what I want to bring out today. This joy is one of the fruits of God's Spirit. And if you had to sum up God's personality, you would have to say it's one of joy. God is happy. Now, his character would be, probably be that of love. See, he loves and he enjoys giving. See? He enjoys that very much from his creation. And he's a happy God. He knows what it's like to give. It makes him happy. See, Now, probably if he start, stops giving, he'd probably stop being God. See, When things in nature fails to give, it dies. You ever notice that? It dies when it fails to give. Because God has created everything in nature to give. Everything to give. And sometimes we may take things for granted. As we uh, heard about the garden, okay, you plant the seed, it gives. You give to the ground, it gives back. You give, it gives. That's the principle as being brought out by Paul here in this, uh, in their deep poverty. See, their joy in their deep poverty. They even found joy in giving when they didn't have anything to give. And usually the more people get, the less they give. less they have is the more they give. You know, when I was growing up, <clears throat> nobody had anything. But whatever you needed, somebody would supply it. For you. They'd give you things. If you were sick, they'd come over and take care of you. They didn't charge you anything for that. They gave. That's why people were happy. Singing, giving, sharing, caring. And you see, today the world has lost that. They're on the getting. Get, 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 get. And they're miserable. They can't find happiness because they're trying to get happiness instead of giving happiness. It's right opposite. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring with us uh, much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints, not only as we had hope, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And brethren, that is the key. 
you give yourself to God, then you begin to give to others. See? If we don't give ourselves to God, then we don't find time for others. See? The key is we must give ourselves to God. Christ gave himself to his Father first. He gave himself to his Father. Then he started giving what the Father wanted done, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So that's why in baptism we try to help people to see it's a matter of dying and learning to give. Give yourself to Christ. See, you want to be sure you're giving up the self. Now you're giving that to Christ of our new creation to learn to give. And I believe if some of our people that I've known over the years who left the church, they quit giving. See, they quit and they became miserable trying to change the church, trying to change Mr. Armstrong. They just quit giving instead of giving to the church, like I'm sure most of us did, stay with the truth, to give the truth, set us free, produce the fruits. So he says, so we urge Titus, verse 6, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So he's talking about the Corinthian church. He wanted them to give. Now, they didn't give, so they were all divided, weren't they? They chose in different ministers for them. They were divided. They didn't give, and Paul was trying to help them to give. The only way out of it is to give. So you give it yourself or give it your time. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If our treasure is in the God's work, God's church, giving us free gospel to help people, that's where our heart is. And whatever, if your heart is in it, then you love it. You find a joy in giving or sharing, as, you know, as the Bible plainly shows us. In verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by diligence, uh, by the diligence of others. So he's showing them, the brethren there in Macedonia, in poverty, they found joy in giving, see, in their deep poverty. And so he was trying to help them or motivate them to see that that's what they need to do as a, as a church there in Corinth. Now, Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul was on his last mission there at Ephesus, and, and he was talking to the elders there. And he was explaining a lot about himself in Acts chapter 20. And that had to be a sad time for the Apostle Paul because he knew that uh, he wouldn't see them anymore, even though he taught them, trained them to be elders, and he knew he wouldn't see them anymore. In verse 22, And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Now, was he depressed? Was it, woe is me, I dread this? even though that I have been commanded by Jesus Christ to do it, that I'm doing it for him, I gave myself to him. O wretched man that I am, he said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I've given myself to Christ. I belong to him. 
Mr. Armstrong said, if you can use me, if you can use me, he gave himself to Christ to be used by Christ. First, it has to be given to Christ, see, so he can, we can learn to give to others the same way Christ gives to us, see, and it just keeps growing. Now, he says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, what if that you knew tomorrow or the next day that no matter where you go, that there's going to be prison or beatings or, or rock throwings or making fun of and calling every name on the sun. Would you give up? You know, I mentioned the other day, uh, I believe it's in that singles we were talking about, that Sarah Palin, I don't know of any family has ever been maligned like her family. They find everything wrong with her. They call her every name on the sun, and you name it, they, they are against her. But she says, I got fire in my belly to be the president. Okay. Now, she's willing to go all through all that to be the president of the United States. How much more should we be willing as Christians to be kings and priests? See? In giving, see, in giving to be kings and priests. That kind of fire in our belly as they had at the first church. They had fire in the belly, you see. They were determined. They were determined to carry on and to give the message, the truth, to all those people who were here. And that was their commission. But Paul said, all these things, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with what? With joy. Finish my race. I find joy in the tribulation. I find joy in being beaten like Christ. Being counted worthy to suffer the name of Jesus Christ. I find joy in that, Paul said. Now verse 23, or 33, I have coveted no man, no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those here with me, you see, Paul was giving, wasn't he? Not only was he a tent maker, taking care of his own needs, but those with him, he took care of theirs as well. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, why is that, brethren, more blessed to give than to receive? What would you say that means to you? <clears throat> if someone gave you a billion dollars, and would you be happy in the one who gave it? See? Just think about what that means. I believe <clears throat> there are several reasons that it's more blessed to give, but I'm going to give just three concrete, I believe, reasons why it is more blessed to give than to receive. An ungiving person is a miserable person. He never experienced that inner joy from giving. Never, you see. An ungiving person never experiences that joy that comes from giving. So I believe the first reason it's more blessed to give than to receive, there's an inner joy that comes from giving to the heart, from the heart. And I mentioned that I believe that one word that 
sums up God's personality would be that of joy, one of joy. God is the greatest giver of all when you think about it. He gave Christ, John 3, 16. He gave that. He gives his spirit. He gives us his truth. He helps us to understand his plan. He helps us to understand why we were born. He gives us encouragement by answering our prayers in time of need, real need. See, He encourages us. He's the greatest giver of all, and he loves to give. And they said, in the presence of God is joy forevermore in his divine presence. That's why it's such a joy. If we come to church to give, really give, you'll find a sheer joy that you cannot explain. If we come to give and share, see, in God's presence is joy. And God's presence is here today. God's presence will be here tomorrow, see, that we can share in that joy. The sermons tomorrow morning, sermonette, special music, covered dish. See, we can be together all of that time, giving and encouraging and sharing, see, and learning that it's more blessed to give than to receive. The more you love the church, the more you're going to give to the church, the more you're going to sacrifice to the church, the more you're going to sacrifice for God's people in time of need and help. It's a matter of love for what you're doing, a matter of love for your work. The more you give to your work, the more joy you have. Now, it's not always pleasant, you know, sometimes, but there's a joy in succeeding. When you accomplish something, there's a certain joy. So Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, You know, I believe that's what keeps Dr. Meredith going. He loves what he's doing. Find a joy in that. He accomplishes an article. He, he's always uh, being pressured. You know, he's got all these letters to write, all these articles to write, all the editorials to write. He has to give these sermons. And I believe he finds a sure joy in that accomplishment, inner joy that cannot be articulated. There are certain joy you cannot articulate. It's unspeakable, see, and full of glory. And I think that's what kept Mr. Armstrong. He loved the work of God. He loved what he was doing. He loved that. And Mr. Armstrong could write, we were talking about the other day, he could write on an eighth grade level and everybody could understand it. If you had a third grade education or you had a doctor's degree, you could understand what he was saying. He had that special talent and gift. Now, if he hadn't loved to give and share, where would we be today? When I first heard the truth, it was sure joy. I couldn't put it down. I couldn't wait for the next booklet. Couldn't wait for the next correspondence course. It was such a joy, see. You couldn't wait to get to find a church or go to church someplace, willing to travel anywhere. I know one time uh, we didn't have anybody, and so we wanted to be baptized. And I thought, well, what I'll do is fly out to Pasadena Get them to baptize me, and I'll fly back and baptize my wife. <laughs> but uh, we'd get the plain truth, and we'd fight over it. See? So we solved the problem that she would just read it to me over the phone while I was at work. And you couldn't quit talking about it. It was such a joy. And it's amazing how people can lose that joy for that truth. 
Just think about what you know in your heart and mind that nobody else knows. Now, how do we treat that? The first love, do we still treat it with dignity and honor and talk about it in a positive way and encourage people who may be down and out in helping? You see, in time of need, it's when that word comes out. It's when we act on that word and we help in time of need. And so in time of need of the church, we come through. They ask for the lecture, we come through, you see. God always uses people that who really love his work and want to share it with others and help others. Now, we have a lot of co-workers, you see. that They're not necessarily obeying what they know, but they're willing to share that. They want others to hear it. They find a joy in that, that inner peace and joy. Now, Jesus in Hebrews chapter that Paul was <clears throat> writing, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. See, a sin is get. See, that getting at it is get something. You know, I've got to get something. That ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, notice, for the joy that was set down, set down before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy, because he knew if he died that he would bring billions probably into the family of God. That's what he saw. He looked beyond the cross. He looked beyond the suffering to fulfill his father's, we would say, dream, who wanted a family. So he looked beyond that sheer joy to him to help his father. Gave himself to his father, then he gave himself to mankind. And the father gave Christ. They willingly did that for us. And so as we think about this, inner joy that God has given us, that we need to never lose that, brethren, and we can lose it. We can start getting, becoming dissatisfied, looking for a place to rest instead of giving. It gets mine on self, see, and there's no end, see, to self. Self is going to die. Selfish ways will die. The only thing that's going to live is this giving way that we all learn. And that's to give first to God uh, ourselves, then to each other, like Christ would, you know, want us to do. In John chapter 15, John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. Now, joy is happiness, brimful and running over. Probably that's the way you could describe joy. Happy, brimful, and just bubbling, see? Enthusiastic. Happy. Not a negative person. Here comes old sourpuss. 
Let me get that list out. See, what are they going to tell me is wrong with them today? See? Now, that's not wrong to share those things, but it's a matter of giving self, see? Giving, and you're surprised how quickly you can be healed if you give to Christ first to be healed. Then after you heal, what are you going to do with the life? See? Are you going to give it to others if you're healed? Now, people said, God, will you give me more of your love than I can love? He said, all right, what am I going to, I'll give you my love. What are you going to do with it? Explain it to me. How will you use it? That's what we do in prayer. If your child were to come up and say, Dad, I'd like to have the car tonight. Well, what for? Why? They've got to give you a solid reason. And we have to give God a solid reason. That we're just not trying to get something from Him, but we want to give ourselves to Him, give to Him, so we can give to others. They're not trying to get from God. Because that philosophy is not God's way. As Mr. Armstrong always taught. You know, give and get. So if we're trying to get from God, if we're trying to get eternal life, if we're trying to get salvation... We're missing the boat. God didn't call us to get salvation. See? It's free. It's free to those who produce the fruit, those who want to live with Him, those who love to live with Him, that honors Him. There's nothing I can do for salvation. It's a gift. I can earn my reward, but I can't earn salvation. It's a gift, free gift from God. He wants to give it to me. Now, do I want it? See? Then if, I, if he gives it to me, what am I going to do then? See? So those things, uh, I think, is, is where Jesus' joy, the same joy he had when he was dying, that my joy be in you. Re- realize you're going to have to die. We're all going to have to die then we'll be resurrected with a different body. See? Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of God's way. And I think this is what Larry saw in a lot of you. He saw this attitude of service and joy and concern. And he called out a few names, which I won't call out, but, uh, you, you know, the people that really just showed this outpouring concern for him. And that gives you the impetus to live. See? You want then. You realize how important the church is. How important the Sabbath services. Only when you have to miss when you're sick or you can't come do you really begin to miss it. Then you realize how important God's people are. How much they care and how much they're willing to share with you as well. Their time, their efforts, their money, whatever it might be. First Peter 1 verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved, see, by various trials and tests. And sometimes we are distressed by them. But when God delivers us, frees us, then we find joy. See, we don't think about the test anymore. There's something greater in us than the test. See, see if we're going to get See if we're going to give in to it. 
See if we're going to take away our love for God. See if that test is bigger than God. See? So that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you have not seen, you love. See, nobody has seen Christ. Now, I've talked to people who claim they've seen Christ, but I've never seen him. I don't know what he looks like except what the Scriptures say, what he looks like. I've never seen him, but I love him. Even though I've never seen him. I want to be like him because I've never seen him. See? I love him for what he's done for me and what he's doing for others. So having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. See? That's when you're striving with all of your heart and mind to be like Christ. I mean, it's such joy, just joy that you cannot explain it. If you ever tried to talk to another Christian, you may not be articulated, but you just grunt and they know what you're talking about. They see it in your eyes, in your expression, the life, the joy, the peace, the goodness that we've been sowing. See, all of those seeds, see, seed of goodness and kindness, the seed of love and joy and faith. We sow those seeds, and we reap in due season if we faint not, if we don't give up, if we don't quit, you know, through sore trials or tests. Now, Matthew 13, Jesus brings out an important point here in Matthew 13 in the parables of the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a tre- like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He's willing to give up everything for the joy of finding the treasure, the truth. See, I think if you go back and see when you were first called, that's what you did, willing to give up everything. Most of us did. We had to give up families, had to change our plans for others and serving others. We didn't do what we wanted to do. I've had to change my plans many times to serve the church because my heart and soul is in the church, not in some other place. See? So we have to learn sometimes to give up our own plans to serve the church, to serve the brethren, to help the brethren. See, not trying to get, but to give. It's the whole key. And once we find that treasure, we find joy in it. And you can't buy joy. See? You give it. And the more you give, the more joy you have. As he's bringing out here, uh, this inner joy that, uh, you know, that we have. Now, God created everything to, to give, to reproduce. Let's go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. In verse 11, when Eve showed he has created the days, and day one, what he did, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, 
then, of course, he worked, you know, and then he rested on day seven. And I find when I used to go to Sunday church, that's the most boring thing I think I've ever done. See? I mean, you endured 15 minutes of sermons. <laughs> you have 15 minutes sermon, about an hour and a half of altar calls. And if they ever saw, if they seen anybody shaking like that, well, you shame because you're tired. You can't. You want to sit down. They just keep going over and over and over. Over. I mean, I was in Detroit. I, was, I think I was 17. I went to this Baptist church and. And uh, the preacher said, uh, if you'd like to be prayed for, raise your hand. He said, everybody's eyes are closed, head about, he said. So I raised my hand, and I had my, I, I wanted to be prayed for. So I closed my eyes, and I looked up, and there was about 15 people around me. Now, they had to be peeping. <laughs> so they took me to the altar. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Except Jesus Christ is personal Savior. I said, I'll do that. I, I will. Because I wanted to get out of there. <laughs> so whatever they were telling me to do, that's exactly what I was going to do. And so after we finished all of that, I left and never did go back anymore. See? So I was always afraid to go to these revivals because they just they worry you to death. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. And you don't know if you give your heart to Jesus. You don't know what it is. They say you're born again. Well, I didn't know I was born again. I never feel like I was saved. You see, always questioning salvation. So every day you get a sermon based on altar calls. You weren't being taught anything. You just altar calls, see, trying to get the name, get people saved because they think... This is on the day of salvation. If you don't make it this day, then you're gone. See, eternal. They don't understand God's plan. See, it's all get. Let's get more members. Let's get this. Let's get them saved. Let's do this. Well, brethren, we're not trying to save the world. We're not preaching to save people. We're preaching to warn people. See, it's up to them what they want to do. We don't give altar calls. And I tease people. I say, you know, I'm going to talk you out of being baptized. Now, you'll have to prove to me that you won't let me talk you out. Well, most people try and talk you into being baptized. <laughs> of course, I, that's a kidding way, if you understand. And it's not get baptized, see. It's not get something. It's something we have to do. We give ourselves to it. We die willingly in the tank. We die willingly to die in Christ. It's not getting something. It's giving something. See? The whole philosophy, as Mr. Armstrong taught, give and get. See? So that's, uh, that is important. Now, verse 11, God said, let the, bring, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed. And the fruit tree yields after fruit, and to its kind, whose seed is itself uh, in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields uh, yields seed according to the, its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now He did all that for a purpose, that He would give the rain. The grass would grow. The cattle would eat it, see. 
the goats and the sheep would eat that, and it'd give back. See, it would reproduce. So when the cattle got too old, they quit eating, quit giving, and they died. So God here then saw a man. And he he realized, uh, uh, verse 7 of chapter 2, And God, the Lord God, formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Not that man had a soul. Man became a living soul, see. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. It must have been a beautiful garden. All kinds of good-looking trees as pleasant as the eyes and, and fruit. And all Adam would have to do is just take care of it, tend to it. And the garden would give back to him. Now, there was one tree God did not give Adam. See, one tree of the whole garden. And as a tree of knowledge of good and evil. So what did Adam do? He took, took that, see. Get. That's going to make me wise. Get, see. See what happens then when you get on the get side? The chaos, the confusion, the wars, the sickness, the poverty, women suffered, childbirth. See, all that simply because of getting. See, getting. And so if Adam had just served the tr- garden like God wanted him to, you serve it, it'll take, it'll come back to you. All these, all this is yours. I'm giving it to you. You just serve it. But he failed. Instead of giving to the garden, he took from it something that God says, no, you shouldn't do. So he suffered. It did not bring him joy. It just brought pain and suffering, and the ground then was under a curse. It did not give back to him. He had to dig and sweat and worry until God removed the curse. You know, at the flood, off that land. You can imagine what, how they had to live. A life of ease to one of torment and sorrow and death because it became so wicked in getting that God had to destroy them all. The longer they lived, the more wicked they became. He saw that. More wicked. So it's, uh, it's just a matter of understanding that in Psalms, 51, you know the first thing you lose when you sin? David experienced that. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. However, he did something that was not profitable. He took something that wasn't his without permission. And he suffered for it by taking something. It was not profitable to, for David to do. And so God then, you read the Psalms, uh, Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy. See, he lost that. He knew that. Hear joy and gladness. Then verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. So if you return that joy to me, you give that to me, I'll in turn teach sinners. 
I'll in turn begin to teach that. That I made a terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. And so that's, uh, that's Abigail saved David one time, remember? Saved David. He was going down the destroy Nabal and everybody there. So how did she save him? Well, she gave him gifts of food, figs, love your enemy, see. And it melted David's heart. She saved him from committing an act that God would not allowed or condone. And he blessed her for that. So we give, brethren, as we give to our enemies or those who are going to do us harm, as we give to them, we find joy and peace and the fruits of God's Spirit. And the only way we could ever be happy, true happiness, and I'm afraid some of us have never experienced that, what it is to have true joy of serving and giving and sharing. And I hope we all can. hope we all will. And so that's what tomorrow, tomorrow pictures to us. It's a time of happiness and joy, peace, when they were all happy and sharing and giving and selling, you see. They all wanted to stay together all the time. They were so happy, filled with such joy and peace there in Jerusalem, that the word spread. That's a happy group down there. Man, I don't know what they're drinking, but I'd like to have some of it. <laughs> but the word spread that is their happiness and joy is what people saw. Now I've had people, you know, have come here and have said, Charlotte is a happy church. Charlotte is a giving church. I'm very impressed with, with the congregation here. And I think most people will say that. They impress with your giving attitude, your sharing attitude, and meeting people. And the more you meet people and the more you share with people, the more joy you're going to have. And you truly find it's more blessed to give than to receive. You have to find that out for yourself. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And sometimes we have to make plans, change our plans, a vacation, whatever it might be, for the church. The more we give to the club, the more happiness we have, the more we're going to produce. See, the more we give to anything that God offers, the more you give yourself to the living university classes and really find a joy in giving that. It's amazing what God can do then if you find joy in that. So this is uh, that's why in clubs sometimes you know who really is. Uh, happy to be there and who just dreads to be there, who feels like they're forced to be there, see. But it's that inner joy, see, that comes from it. We're never too old to learn, see. We, we don't know it all. We're never too learn to understand joy, never too old to what we're talking about, to learn those things. Now, I believe the second reason... Why it's more blessed to give than to receive. Those in need will be helped. See, those in need will be helped. In Romans chapter 12, now you probably got a lot of reasons, but I just wrote down three here. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12.
verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So if we try to take vengeance, then we end up getting, getting even type, see. The way you treat me is the way I'm going to treat you. See, that's the getting part, and there's no joy in that at all. Then he said, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's that first principle. Isn't it? Therefore, while we have opportunity, do good to all men. If our enemy, if you have an opportunity for that, then do good. See? You don't respect God will reward you for that if you do what, you know, God says that has to be done. In Matthew chapter 14, in Matthew 14, when Jesus, uh, the multitudes, you know, Jesus was never too busy. He was always giving, always giving to people their eyesight from the dead, feeding people, walking on water, get away from people. Always. He was always giving, see. Never trying to get anything. <clears throat> he was giving to, you know, the people. So he was teaching a lesson here in uh, Matthew 14, verse uh, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. That was almost something like 15,000 people. I wonder how many people there were sick. They were there to get something. They knew Jesus could deliver. And they stayed with him. See? When, when it was evening, he, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the village and buy themselves food. You see their attitude of... They knew Christ had the power and the ability to feed. See, They knew he had the power to heal. Well, get rid of these people now. They're healed. You've taken care of them. Get rid of them. Let them go down and fend for themselves. Now, what was Jesus' attitude? But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give, see. I want you to give them something to eat. Instead of trying to get something, you give them. And they said to him, we have, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. All right. They had to give that to Christ. Before they could give anything to the multitude, they first had to give it to Christ. See? Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. Just think about what a miracle that had to be. Did he create more food, or did he just kind of stretch that bread to feed 15,000 people? You see, brethren, there's nothing impossible with God if we give ourselves to God First, 
There is nothing impossible. And he will give to us so that we can give to others and, uh, and do for others. Now, Matthew chapter 25, show we how this principle works. Matthew 25, verse 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into what? The joy of your Lord. Say joy, happiness, brimful and run it over. Can you think about living that way forever? Never depressed moment. Never sick. Never have to worry about dying. The whole universe is waiting on us to give. The whole universe is waiting on us to give. See. And God is waiting on us so we can give to the universe. That we can give to the nations when he comes. Give them the way of life. Give them the truth. Because we've given ourselves to God for the training. That we know what to do. The whole population, everybody's waiting on God's people. To give to them what they need. Verse 22, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents before besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. There's that inner joy than the one who had the one talent. He was not profitable, didn't produce didn't reproduce. He was hid, too busy, didn't have the time. Now, what was his fate? It was the lake of fire. Unproductive human being will go to the lake of fire because God expects everybody to learn to give if they want eternal life and live forever. But if they're unproductive, it's a lake of fire for them. As he brings out here, you know, in this particular chapter, the rest of the verses. Now, the you remember the sheep and goats, how they were separated? What happened to them? Because I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was sick, you didn't visit me. When you had the opportunity to do good, you didn't do it. See? They said, well, Lord, when did, when did we see that? He said, when you did it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And what happened to their fate? It's a lake of fire. So those who were giving, he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you visited me. And he went on through that litany. And they said, Lord, when do we see this? He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, that's how serious to me give and get the division that will take place, the separation, the judgment whether or not I have given, because if I hadn't given, I'm unprofitable. See? I'm not reproducing anything except the flesh, and that's death. You know, the flesh is death. Now, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3.
verse 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. And that could be a kind word. That can be an encouraging word. That can be you're doing a good job. I admire you. I see you're faithful at church. I see that you're always faithful in serving. A kind word when it's due to somebody. That's not building somebody's ego. It's just recognizing someone's gifts. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow, and I will give it when you have it with you. Do not advise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without a cause. If he has done you no harm. So these proverbs are very important. Now, the third reason I think it's more blessed to give than to receive, because God's promises, rewards, and dividends for our giving. In Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse 8, Paul writing to the church, Ephesus, Ephesians 6, verse 8. knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And that means, brethren, if you give a cup of water to somebody in Jesus' name, God never forgets that. He rewards that in the disciple's name, where a disciple then gives a cup of water. Or if we do something, a minister in the minister's name, God rewards that, you see. The least act of helping somebody will not go unnoticed by God. He never forgets, see, and he rewards us for those things. In Proverbs, in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, you know, Paul was blistering the Jews here because of their self-righteousness, looking down on the Greeks. In verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds. That's what we've sown to. Give or get. Just that simple. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, while we have that opportunity, see, to do good, it's continuance in doing, not just one-time good, but way of life. Seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but though, but those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. So whatever man sows, that's exactly what he's going to reap. It's that principle. And if I sow corn, I'm not going to reap tomatoes. Isn't that right? If I sow the carnality, that's exactly what I'm going to read. Jealousy, envy, hate, see, crazy thinking, adultery, fornication, or trying to get. That's exactly what I'm going to reap. Death. See? Unless that's repented of and a person then gives himself or herself to Christ and then he begins to, he's beginning to, if it doesn't matter, you or Greek, it's tribulation and anguish. But glory and honor, verse 10, and peace to everyone who works what is good. Just think about it. That sounds simple. 
But it's hard to do. It's easy to forget. It sounds so simple, isn't it? I mean, how, how much simpler could Paul put that? Glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And it doesn't matter what culture, what race, what you are. That's what God says to all. For there is no partiality with God. See, I mean, he, he's uh, no partiality with him at all. And let's turn to Proverbs 22. Verse 9, Proverbs 22, verse 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. I know when I was working with the Roman hospital, I think it's Thiokol Chemical Corporation back in the 50s, this individual, he, he was always happy for some reason. And he told me, he said, when it comes to giving, never leave me out. Never leave me out when it comes to giving. And he practiced that way of life. Now, he didn't know the truth, apparently. If he did, I didn't know it. Uh, but he was just happy. He never bad moment. You never seen him in a bad attitude. He was a giving person. See? And he was a highly educated person. But he was giving, sharing, caring. He said, never leave me out when it comes to giving. I want to be a part of it. In Proverbs 19, verse 17, He who keeps the commandments keeps his soul, but he who carelessly of his way will die. But who is careless of his way will die. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. You know, the poor person says, I'll pay you back. But it's always better to give, isn't it? That way you don't expect anything back. You just give so you don't have to worry about him paying you back. So every time you give something to somebody, just realize, give it to them. Because then if you don't give it to them, when are they going to pay me back? See, liar and cheat, he told me this, he told me that. He said, no, just give. That way you don't have to worry to get something back. You're not giving something to get something back. You're giving something that makes you happy and have peace and love and understanding for the individual, the shape that person may be in. In Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust, Hebrews 6, verse 10, to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Toward his name, you see. God first, his saints or others. Okay, Revelation 3.10 says, Because you have not denied my name and kept my work, I will keep you. Then I will, I will keep you then from the hour of tribulation. And that's a promise. Because you have not denied my name, you have been a giver of the truth, you have shared that truth with everybody, you didn't charge them anything, you visited people when they need you, I will keep you from the hour of tribulation. So everybody who works at headquarters, they just think they're giving something. 
They're giving their time. They're giving the truth. They're giving the plan for uh, the tomorrow's world magazines and sermons on the internet for people. A giving under. That's what we're called for: is to learn to give, not to get anything, but to give, so we can make others happy, so they can find the same joy in God's truth as we did. And it's easy to forget that joy. And get mine own self. Nobody uses me. Nobody cares for me. I've been around here all this long. You know, I've been to church and I should be something. Well, what should we be? I've seen men go to the highest and leave because they never could get enough. See, what do I want to be? I want to be God's son, don't you? I don't care what I am in this life. As long as I'm God's son and doing what is pleasing to him. You don't have to have a title for that. You don't have to have an office for that. God is no respect of persons. Nobody can stop you from visiting the sick. Nobody can stop you from writing cards. Nobody can stop you from picking up the telephone and say, I miss you. See? So that's just, uh, you know, this is something I think uh, we need to consider as well. In Psalms 41, Psalms 41, now notice the blessing in verse 1. Blessed is he who considers the poor, see, or the widows, or the orphans. Blessed are those who take the widows out. Blessed are those who visit the widows. They're lonely. See? They've lost mates. They're lonely. Blessed are those who make time for that. See? And the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. All right, if the tornado is coming toward your house and you ask God to help you, Remember what I've, the good works I've done for you? Save me. See, I've seen that happen in my ministry, how tornadoes have jumped the house. Destroyed every house but that one house. And you heard about the farmer. All that flood, it destroyed all the farms except when it washed back, he still had his crop. There is nothing impossible with God if we obey him, that we can claim the promise then. We're not trying to get something. We can claim the promise that he cannot lie. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. And you will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. Since I've been in God's church, and since you've been in God's church, I've been able to travel like I've never traveled before. I've been given a free education. See? If God had not called me, I'd still, oh, I'd be dead today, but I'd still be on that block. I can't afford to go anywhere. I'm too afraid. But we were forced to go to Jekyll Island. We were forced to go to Big Sandy, Texas. Then finally we were forced to go to Myrtle Beach. Then finally we loved it. <laughs> See? God gave us the money to go. And you cannot put it down on paper. Your income outgo versus uh, when you 
Talk about your tithe. It doesn't work. It's a matter of giving. Giving God what is His. First, He gives to you what is yours. So you go to feast. Then He gives to the widow what is theirs. And He blesses us for that giving. And the only way you can explain it. It's a miracle when these things happen. How do you explain it? I made $300 a month, giving a big tithe and offering out of that. Traveling 240 miles, car never did wear out. Clothes didn't wear out. We just kept driving and driving and driving and driving. Then all of a sudden, there's a new car waiting on you. Here's a gift for you. Bob, go get it. I can't afford it. See, I'm talking from experience, brethren. God is real. You obey Him, He makes a way for you. There's always a way. And you don't have to beg or plead. God is the giver. See? He's the giver of everything. Now, I heard about this woman. I can't verify it. She had no food in her house. No food whatsoever. She set the plates. I had little girls there, her little daughters. Set the plates and knelt down and asked God, saying, I don't want to beg. You promised me food, clothing, shelter. If I, obey, if I sought your kingdom, I have been seeking your kingdom. So she looked out the window, and there was a station wagon backing up in her driveway. And in that station wagon was full of food. See? Now, how do you explain that? Well, I can explain it this way. God always has something coming your way. If you don't ask, it just keeps passing you by. See? You don't ask. <laughs> All right, there it goes, you know. That could have been mine if I'd asked. But you see, God is full of it. I mean, if He can feed 15,000 people, surely He can feed us. Isn't that right? So why worry about those things, food, clothing, and shelter? Why worry about the job, next job? If God wants you fired, I guarantee you, you're going to be fired. <laughs> but He'll give you a better job because He's got a better job for you. That's the way it works. And these, and these giving, you know, these principles that he said. Now, Luke chapter 6, we'll wind up here. Luke 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will he put into you bosom, your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You reap what you sow. The smallest service rendered in the right attitude will be rewarded by God. So giving, brethren, is an act of faith. It takes faith in the one who's given, that you has given you everything, the one that you've given yourself to. It takes faith in that in that individual, which is Christ. So we can meet people, get to know people, talk about giving to people, talk about the positive things that don't worry, God's going to take care of us. 
And the more we do that, the more you realize it's more blessed to give than to receive. 